Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From autosport.com and autosport magazine, I'm Martin Lee. This is the Autosport Podcast. Chaos, confusion, total comedy. I'm not talking about the three guests joining me on today's podcast. That was today's event in Australia. Let's get into it. Chief Editor Kevin Turner, Jake Boxall, Lake JBL joins us, and Matt Q, who hasn't made the journey over to Australia. Uh, Alex Kalanokis and Philip are there, but what with so many delays, post-race penalties and, and appeals. They're so busy doing that, uh, I didn't uh, want to bring them on the podcast for fear of just overloading them with so much going on. But let's get into it. Max Verstappen won today's race, never previously won in Melbourne. Red Bull's previous Melbourne win was uh, back in 2011 when Sebastian Vettel won. Followed home on the podium, Lewis Hamilton in second. He hadn't completed a lap in the top four in the opening two races, and now he's talking about catching the Red Bulls by the end of the season. We'll pick that apart, and we're getting used to seeing Fernando Alonso in third place on the podium and again uh, Aston Martin a strong performance Lance Stroll in fourth Sergio Perez starting from the pit lane to finish fifth Lando Norris the first of the McLarens getting them underway with points for the first time this year in sixth then Nico Hulkenberg great result for Haas but they're not happy after the race Oscar Piastri he is happy though his first career points in Formula 1 in eighth then Zhou Guan Yu in ninth Yuki Tsunoda in tenth that's your top ten today let's get into it Kevin Turner we saw four red flags today because being a pedant there was one after the checkered flag but three main ones and a very long half an hour delay at the end to work out how should we finish today's motor race uh let's talk about that all tied in with the performances of the drivers because we can't ignore it first up what how what where kev how did you what did you make of that today um, can we do just can we go straight to the finish? I can tell them how to finish a motor race. If you have an enormous accident with two or three laps to go that's big enough to either throw a safety car or a red flag, that's the end of the race. That is your result. That's been the case for over 70 years. There's a 75% rule. We've seen many Grand Prix sorted like that. Why you would then – well, we know why. It's for it's for TV and new fans and all the rest of it. And very exciting to have a two-lap sprint to the flag. Except, the, as I said to Alex Kalanorkas – Last year, after the Monza race, which did finish under the safety car, correctly, as it transpired, even though they took ages to get one of the cars sorted out. But uh, 
yeah, you have two major problems if you restart a race like that. One is you potentially get the wrong result. Let's face it, if anyone other than Max Verstappen had won in that two lap, well, it wasn't two lap in the end, was it? But if anyone else had won, it would have been outrageous. And you also run the risk of an enormous crash with lots of expensive damage during an era of the cost cap, which is exactly what we got. So <laughs> it was complete and utter nonsense. It should have been red flagged. End of race. Results as you stand. Alpine will have their points, uh, which is what they should have. And uh, But instead, we went through this farcical situation of a restart uh, with lots of damaged cars and then confusion afterwards as to, oh, do we count it back? Where should the horses finish? They put in a pro... T- oh, ridiculous. Completely avoidable. Matt, it's your job to know the, 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 the rules of the game. Uh, so why is there a 75% rule if we just ignore it? The impression we're given, which we absolutely should not be being given, is that the stewards are there with basically a printed copy of the rules, flicking through it or making it up on an ad hoc basis as they go through. Yes, they're in-depth and thorough. And so perhaps to commit it all to memory is ambitious, but it's what every team sporting director manages to do when they immediately lodge an appeal against an FIA decision because they know it inside out. They know the loopholes. They feel like they can export it, overturn a decision. The FIA should have the responsibility to know the rules inside out. So we're not waiting for endless delays, poor communication, you know, I also noticed that in the FIA like media WhatsApp group, we were told of how the race would unfold long, long, long before the broadcasters, like five minutes, which in that delay is 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 massive. So, you know, okay, it's nice to be informed and okay, the FIA are slightly ahead of how they've been presented to the world, but then the tens of millions of strong audience are in the dark that bit longer. And then they're much more vocal on social media going, you know, this delay, what what the hell is going on? Because it's it's not been communicated very well and then this raises a point of do you need permanent stewards so you're not backing back and forth and you know the split race directors you need someone who knows it inside out so it, it's not this sort of delay and I'm I'm a I'm a hopeless Stuart Lee sycophant but there's a quote he's got that like just sums up the FIA's approach to this completely which is in that moment in that final red flag, they are trapped between two different forms of cowardice, between being overzealous on safety concerns. You can track that straight back to the Albon shunt and all the gravel, which is a safety car and a couple of marshals with some brushes. That's all, all it needs to be, in, in my opinion. Same with, you know, uh, a particularly brave run running on to, to get the wheel left by Magnussen. That was entirely off the racing line a safety car slowed down i can see kev uh, kev uh, shaking his head but he's wrong uh, that 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 should be you know take them <laughs> through at walking pace past that i don't think either a red flag and same with saudi arabia with lance stroll parking off now the reason red flags have been introduced or the party line in all those cases is absolute safety is paramount you know they said for stroll parking in off in Saudi Arabia, even though we could see the car was off the track, they said at that time they didn't have a camera angle just to absolutely confirm it. So we had to do the safest thing with the information available to us. Fair enough. Again, if that's what they feel like they have to do with Albon, whatever. But then you're seemingly combating that with, as you say, the recklessness of having a, a, a restart right at the end with two laps to go when, you know, Safety cars breed safety cars. Well, extrapolate that a bit further and you've got red flags breed red flags or or massive crashes. So if you're inducing them in the first place, you can't then sort of, you know, reinstate the grid or whatever order or or then then keep the race going because the red flag has caused a crash and then extend it by having another one because that's at odds with the safety mantra in the first place, And in my opinion. So it's like like 
the drivers have said it's not Kev about to get sued by FIA or whatever because the drivers have said as well <laughs> this felt like they were doing it for the show for the drama which is a really powerful sentiment to say but okay if you take the FIA absolutely they're when they're doing it for safety grounds and then, then who wins out of it because it just looks confusing it looks slow and like, as JBL I think you tweeted like can you be angry at Monza finishing behind a safety car and then this with the red flag and restart well yeah I think you can at both you know that's that's a that's a modern day and age you can, <laughs> you can be but th- th- this was much more egregiously handled in my in my opinion Monza was annoying but that was the correct way to finish that motor race that that was that you know we've got lots you know sometimes the Indy 500 other Grand Prix have finished behind the safety car it's a bit annoying and oh, that's a bit of an anti-climax my impression is I kind of agree with Matt. It feels like that's the the the, the Magnuson say, uh, red flag was because they went, oh, if we throw a safety car now, it might finish under a safety car. Let's red flag it and start the race again. Now, I don't know if that's that's exactly what happened, but it feels a bit like that. Uh, and then, but really, from my, my perspective, once you throw in the red flag after 56 of a 58 lap race or whatever it is. Well, let's hear from JBL. What did you think? Would you have been mortally offended if they'd said oh two laps left let's call it a day let's all go home early or what do you think of the way it ended well i'll be honest like firstly i'm not really against having the red flag at the end of a race as a solution um i mean at the end of the day formula one is what sports entertainment and it's there to to entertain people and that's you know always touted as perhaps the most entertaining solution in you stop the race and then you have this final shootout it does kind of devalue the preceding 56 laps but i can understand the point of view and the direction that formula one is currently moving in i'm not totally against that if it had been a red flag or if you know we'd gone for kev's preferred solution i would have been to be honest happy with either it's just the biggest issue that i have is the complete lack of consistency over the last few years um it seems to be there's a lot of stakeholders and people who want to have an influence in what direction the championship is moving in. And we've had three very similar situations that have all been met with very different examples. So, you know, looking back, we've got Abu Dhabi 21. That was what yellow flag rolling start Uh, Monza last year, safety car ended under the safety car. And now we've had red flag and standing start three different ways of dealing with us. You know, let's be honest, something of a similar magnitude let's say and Mm. there are people that will have enjoyed the end of uh this grand prix there will be people who will have absolutely hated it and will be uh reviled by it and uh will be taking to social media to complain about it um at the end of the day it's it's an ending it whether it's good or bad is is subjective it's it, it ended the way that it did but it is sometimes okay for things to to just fizzle out and, but I think looking at it, I don't think the standing start was completely necessary, uh, to be honest with you. I think that's probably the thing that most people would maybe take umbrage with. And if it had been red flag, rolling start, we wouldn't have had any of the issues that we'd had. Maybe it would have been a slightly more dull solution, but I feel like it's the middle ground between the two and um, probably perhaps the least egregious option if you're having a red flag. Um, but I think... Ultimately, yeah, I mean, it is fine for for the race to finish under the safety car or just be red flagged and that's it. It's it's totally fine for that. Um, I just understand that uh, Formula One is currently all about numbers and there are (laughs) probably um, 
tried to please all of the people all of the time. But I think that's actually a really good point. Like the, th- the three different scenarios, but really Abu Dhabi 2021 is aberration, which I think we can say w- was the result of trying to contrive a championship like for not a showdown over the last lap, right? They didn't care who won it, but they contrived it so that they had the two told. So that was that was an aberration. Monza 2022 was how it should be done and how it has been done many times before. But then there was obviously fallout from that. Uh, and I think this is where you get sucked into this sport versus entertainment thing. Fun- fundamentally, when the cars are on track, that's when it should be a sport. If you are entertained by that sport, great. If you're not, there are other sports out there. Like, I'm sorry, that, like, you shouldn't keep modifying the sport in such a way that you eventually throw the sporting thing out the window. And I feel yeah. like we this today, this was more of a decision about, oh, let's keep it entertaining. But just to pick up JBL's point, some people will have loved the finish today. I'm not sure anyone would have done, would they? So they went for the entertainment option. They had a restart. They had a massive shunt. I suppose if you like crashes, then great. But then it still fit. It still finished essentially behind a safety car. So. They ended up with they ended up with basically the same result except more cars in the wall, uh, and and a bigger bill and more teams that were angry. So I think going down the entertainment route, if you take it to this extreme, uh, extreme example, it 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 creates a farcical situation anyway. You'd have been particularly annoyed if Verstappen Hunter won, and you're thinking, why the hell did I set the alarm for five to six only for the last two laps to matter? But anyway, I, I I've got to come back at you two for that because it is an I'm sorry, it is a nonsense to say that F1 should adapt to its growing popularity in that sense by adjusting the rules. Like since the Premier League, and I know football F1 comparisons are are spirits, but since the Premier League went from being, you know, a rival to Syria, La Liga, League One, to being emphatically the best multi-billion pound league. Okay, we've had VAR introduced, but they haven't then suddenly decided that, you know, uh, matches should be 95 minutes long because, because you know, what happens normally in added time is good. So we want to make that the norm. Okay, you wouldn't put it past the current FIFA presidency to not do that. But just because something is, you know, the popularity proliferates does not mean you should bow down to that and change the rules. Just as so, you know, all the all the conspiracy theorists that say, oh, in that, in that radio blind spot in Abu Dhabi, someone was on the phone from Liberty saying, oh, let's do this with a safety car, blah, blah, blah. Like, whether that or that does, you just cannot, you cannot bow down to, no matter how big the check is from the commercial rights holder, from, from the sponsors who, you know, and you'll increase your revenue by having more exciting races. You just cannot compromise that because you're, you're undermining the, the value of certain wins, the value of a championship point. I, I, you know, and, and as Kev said, right at the start, when you have a cost cap and you have fair play to stretch as you know, your bucks as far as possible. And that cost cap is designed to bring in parity. Uh, parity. You cannot have external influences that undermine or fly in the face of all, all of those principles, regardless of how big the audience that, is. I completely agree. That's exactly what I'm saying. You've got to keep the sport the sport. Like the way you sell it, like, you know, fill your boots or whatever. Like Drive to Survive has done a lot for F1, selling it in a way that is sometimes not entirely realistic, but, you know, it's kind of worked. But like, don't change the actual thing that happens on the on the Sunday afternoon, really. If you are going to use the football comparison, there is a referee who makes decisions and sometimes they don't go your way. And so when you're in the pub afterwards, you have a good old moan at the referee, wasn't he terrible? And, you know, there is an element of, for me, going back, you know, Michael Massey was, was permanently there and what happened to him, what happened to him. But if you go back further, you've got the likes of, Charlie Whiting, who was very senior in the kind of Bernie Eccleston era of one or two or three people in the sport really had so much power 
the sport has changed a lot since then, but I, I'm wondering whether I hark back to a day when if, if the stewards had come out and said, that's it, the race is over, there's two laps to go, race is over, you can all go home now, I'd have quite happily gone, all right, those are the rules, are they? Okay, fine. Now, it's our job to know the rules a little bit more than perhaps a lighter viewer because we work for a, a, a publication that writes about the sport. But even so, I wouldn't have gone away thinking, oh, well, that's not, that's not right. Now, our colleague Alex Kalanorkis on a video we made for our YouTube channel points out that there's now so much money, these billion-dollar franchises, and we see the Haas protest, which as a recording at the minute uh, is, is unresolved, that he says, look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Alex's point is, if it takes forever or up to the three-hour limit, get the right result. Don't do something just because one person with all power says, right, this is this is the right thing to go. So I kind of miss those days, though, where it felt like somebody had their hand on the tiller and was steering the ship. I think one, one thing to flag is that the results may very well change in, in this podcast. You know, One, because that's what some of our colleagues are speculating on the ground and two, because we haven't as of yet had a final classification. So what we now, for another three hours after the already delayed race ended and we're still none the wiser. So, but I do take Alex's point of getting the right result. However, the bit I want to come back to is, is, is even if we completely disagree with the results, the fact is that there's no, like, there's nothing forward facing from the FIA to d- explain it. So under Michael Massey, after every race, he would meet the media to explain his decisions. Now, after what went down in Abu Dhabi, and sorry to keep bringing that back up, and you know all the distractions of of Toto and uh, Wolf and Christian Horner conversing with the race director in the race, and then you know them being coming to the media, they, these were seen as unnecessary distractions. They wanted to simplify the race director role um, with 23 races, split it between two people to make it a bit more realistic. But now, as a result of that, whether it's a spurious, you know, yellow flag or virtual safety car, to these three red flags delaying, you know, the end of the race and then not knowing where to take a result from, there is no one explaining these decisions. There's, you know, a couple of, as I mentioned earlier, brief WhatsApp messages mm. from the FIA, but there's no, there's no statement. There's no debrief, you know, like Mercedes. Okay. They do all their public stuff after the race. And then in the week, um, uh, Andrew Shovlin or someone will do a nice sit down interview explaining, this is why we did this strategy. This is where we are bigger picture. The FIA needs an equivalent. They need a spokesperson rather than, you know, the, the silence and silence is what allows people to speculate to, uh, and, and to build up a narrative when there's no reply. And again, it is a distraction to have to meet the media and, to and, to sort of placate the need for it. And maybe it shouldn't be the race, race director doing it, but there has to be someone more than the occasional when FIA spokesperson said every fifth incident, I think there needs to be more of that. Not so that you can necessarily point the finger at them and give them a really hard time, but just so there is a communication, a transparency. And also for us, then there's a log of the incidents and the justification for it. So we don't have, whether it's over the Alonso pit stop in Saudi Arabia, the penalty. So we have a log of precedent and we mm. don't get confused. That's that's what needs to happen, in, in, in my opinion, for, for cases like this. Okay, look, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about the motor race that happened today and the results and the teams and the performances and things like that. Stick around back in a second. All right, now let's actually talk about what happened on the track today. Uh, uh, JBL, Max Verstappen was, once he got head 
of the the Mercedes because, of course, Mercedes got ahead of him at, at the very first start, and the Mercedes looked quick. A bit of a robust incident with Lewis Hamilton getting past Max Verstappen turn three, uh, which I thought was, I thought was fine. Max was a little bit moany afterwards, saying it wasn't in the spirit of of lead, leaving room on the outside. But hey. Uh, I think he, I think he was just a mature driver in that moment. Doesn't need to complain about it because he won the race and he's going to win the world championship this year. Um, but, but JBL, what do you think of uh, the Red Bull performance? It seemed to me, at least, again, once he got out in the lead and he overtook Lewis Hamilton, uh, that they turned everything down and that they had so much performance in hand he could even go off at the penultimate corner and you know have a have a bit of a have a moment to himself on his own and still not be troubled. What do you think of that Red Bull performance, JBL? Well, I think clearly the car is a cut above the rest. And I think that, let's be honest, they won despite Verstappen falling asleep at the wheel and going off. It was <laughs> a really, like, honestly, probably one of his scruffiest wins, I think, in F1. And this car has got so much performance in its back pocket. And he could have theoretically just, if he kept everything sort of relatively stable and without turning everything down, you know, you're 30 seconds up the road and you can just dominate everybody. Um, that's how much the car's got in hand. Of course, they turn everything down because they want to make sure that engine components, that sort of thing, are going to last the stretch of the season. Um, but the start was horrible. Um, Russell just uh, outdragged him off the line and, and got the lead. Um, Hamilton got past him. Verstappen had a whinge, but let's be honest, it's not anything that he hasn't done before anyway. So, um, you know, I don't understand why he's moaning. Obviously, when he got into the lead, yeah, it was that sort of standard serene or just build the lead, get off into the distance and then just turn everything down and cruise. But yeah, as I said, um, fell asleep at the wheel. Um, just wasn't a particularly good day. Um, he won, still got the the full gamut of points, but that was about it. I would say he performed two expectations, I think, given the machinery that he's got at his disposal and did nothing really beyond that. So um, not a lot to say, to be quite honest. I'd have, I would have been disappointed if he hadn't won today because of the red flag and rules chaos confusion because if if, if he'd have been robbed of today that that would have been a properly bad result Sergio Perez of course pit lane start to fifth finish can be viewed one of two ways either he's in a car ridiculously fast and he and he gave us some some moments today that kept us all awake early in the morning doing some overtakes through the pack to to finish fifth equally at times stuck behind Lando in a very draggy McLaren, Kev, how do you read Perez's performance? Was that a good day or a bad day, given how dominant that car is? He should have been up in second, shouldn't he? Mm, well, he was fine, wasn't it? It was, <laughs> it was, it was right. classic Sergio Perez, and it? it was fine. Like It's difficult to get a gauge because, um, uh, you know, as, as Jake was saying there, we don't really know how quick the Red Bull was. The only moment we got a real sight of that, I guess, was when he Verstappen lit the afterburners and walked past Lewis Hamilton like he was standing, like he was like a an airliner with a jet mm. fighter coming past. And then he immediately put two or three seconds on him and then and then backed it off. So <laughs> I don't really think we saw the Red Bull stretch his legs very much today. So it's difficult to get a full gauge from it from Verstappen's performance. And you have to say Perez made some overtakes, kept his nose clean, obviously apart from the ridiculous late uh, restart. So I think, yeah, solid, fine, not spectacular. Um, mm. probably roughly what you would have expected, I should think. I think the expectation for him to do what Verstappen did in Jeddah and just sail past everyone is, is a, a lot of that is a loss just due, due to track nature that the Red Bull still has a very powerful DRS. That, that is 
completely evident but you know it's not the, what did i say in the video we did earlier martin that jedi was just it's a street truck in name only you know it's it almost purpose-built it's so flowing so it promotes <laughs> you know it allows for that kind of verstappen style recovery that he did um whereas i think albert park takes some of that away and 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 it was a it wasn't a sure drive from press so once he did clear norris some of those some of those uh moves they weren't they, they were they weren't reckless but that sort of you know I trust now that my fellow driver has seen me in the mirror, so I'm coming through now. They were that they were that sort of level of uh, level of robust and nothing untoward. But I also think so. I, I do 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 a piece after um, every qualifying session, sort of explaining where the the pole contenders are strong using some GPS data and and okay, as you know, who, who can do what what Kev, who can deny what Kev said? Max did turn on the afterburners and clear away from Hamilton when he had to, but the data traces from qualifying show that it wasn't. You know, it wasn't, uh, it was a bit more nip and tuck between the Red Bull and Mercedes. We don't want really, no one in Formula One apart from Red Bull fans wants to see a Saudi session where Verstappen is topped by <laughs> at least half a second. But, um, so, so it's good that they were closer, but Red Bull just weren't that strong all weekend. So, you know, when Mercedes turned the engine up for qualifying, it was only really at the at the end of the longer straights where where that Red Bull was was truly ahead, you know, in, in the mid-phase acceleration. And, and once Mercedes, who spent all of practice dialing in the suspension for this car with a narrow operating window, once they were happy with that, they were they were much of a muchness through the corners. So, you know, it was it was a scruffy drive from Verstappen and it was a sound, if not, you know, um, uh, uh, a world-class recovery from Perez, but it was like in the context of this season that 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 the R uh, the RB uh, RB nineteen was not quite as strong as it was in in uh, in Bahrain and Saudi relevant to the others. So I think for him not to be on a podium or not to have done another Red Bull one two is fair enough on this occasion. I'm a little confused, and listeners can roast me for being this confused. I don't mind. Because I don't understand Mercedes. One minute they're saying their car is terrible. It's a whole new concept. It's already in the wind tunnel. You're qualifying in Bahrain and Toto say, that's it. Throw it out. You know, throw it all out. It's it's load of old rubbish. We're going to have a new concept. And then today after the event, Lewis Hamilton say, oh, I reckon we can catch Red Bull by the end of the year. Really? But actually, at times, the, the Mercedes looked pretty quick. They did their prep laps well in qualifying. They're there on pace. Who knows what would happen? Because Russell had his his engine failure, so Russell's retirement denied us of a Hamilton Russell battle, which I'm really looking forward to seeing over the course of this season. I think that's going to be really juicy. Qualifying's good. Uh, looking forward to some some race battles. That Mercedes car is it any good? Because it finished second today, or is it so bad they've got to throw it all out and bring a whole new concept? Uh, it's almost like I wrote a column about this the other week. I think I side with Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz in it. I think they they do tend to overplay the struggles that they're having, almost wanting to be the underdog. And I don't think it's quite that. They're, they're, they've still got a top three car. And, um, you know, Ferrari has massively dropped the ball. Uh, it's with them. It's with Aston Martin. It's with... Uh, uh, with Mercedes, that's your that's your top three, and then it's also circuit uh, specific as well. And um, when it comes to the case of uh, Albert Park, it's a real curate's egg of a circuit because it's the most open street track you're going to get. Um, it's uh, a very kind of uh, fast and flowing layout, particularly with the few changes they've had over the last couple of years. So 
sometimes you have car weaknesses that the Mercedes has, and sometimes Albert Park is able to kind of mask that a little bit just because it's this uh, sort of fast-flowing, but also moments of tight corners kind of circuit. And because DRS is so, you know, has such a big influence as well uh, as, what, four zones on this circuit now, um, you can kind of make up a little bit of ground. Um, and Mercedes does have a little bit of a problem with uh, with straight-line speed, Um for example, per Jeddah, they took off a load of downforce just to try and sort of be um, competitive in that area, but they lost a load of cornering speed. So you don't have to do that, and you can use your DRS to uh, to make up for that. So I think that 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 kind of helped them a little bit during mm. the course of this race. And of course, they've got two world-class drivers. So um, when it comes to Albert Park, which is a bit of a driver's circuit as well, uh, I think they just had a bit of a, a, a good day of it. Yeah, it's a great headline, what, what Lewis is saying. He's obviously trying to, boy, you know, yeah, he's quite buoyed with the, the result because he still doesn't feel connected to the car. So to get a second place, he's probably pleased about. But, I mean, they, they, I'm sure they won't be kidding themselves. There's no way in hell they're going to catch the RB19 with that car, is there? <laughs> you know, the, the Red the Red, Red Bull was, you know, Verstappen was able to just hey, put one of his scruffier drives in. He didn't have trap position. Uh, he managed to have an off and he still had the race completely in his pocket. So, and that's a venue that Red Bull don't traditionally go brilliantly at and that the Mercedes was quite decent. So I- I'm sure there'll be some other weekends like that, Junior, like we saw last year, where they might, if Red Bull were slightly off and Merck get it nailed, that they'll be in the ballpark, but they're, you know, they're not about to, sub- they, they still need a new car concept, surely. It's been a, a bad opening start to the season. Hamilton hadn't completed a lap in the top four in the opening two races. So they need to do something. This, this. Well, we're not going to get to find out what happens next because we're into this weird month off of Formula One after just three races because of no China. Um, so we we just need to see it on more circuits and more more track time. I think really, but we'll wait and see. But a car that is still quick is the Aston Martin, and two of those finished in third and fourth today. Fernando Alonso in third, third consecutive podium finish. And uh, that's for the first time since 2013. He's waited 10 years to do three podiums in a row. Uh, last time we had three champions on the podium uh, were Hamilton, Vettel and Raikkonen back in Hungary in 2018. The Aston Martins, uh, I just have such a good feeling around them at the moment because we're seeing some fantastic, fantastic drives. Although they, they weren't dominant today, there was times when you think, oh, you know, is, is Alonso about to turn it on and really put Hamilton under pressure? But I think Hamilton had him covered. But to be followed home by his teammate Lance Stroll in fourth, that is brilliant for for that team. Uh, what kind of development, Matt, do you think Aston can do this year so they don't just start strong and fall away? Do you think they've got a good chance of being there or thereabouts all season? Yeah, and, and a bit like with the RB18 last year what's really handy for the development race is that Aston has a clear weakness for this year which is which is it's a it's a draggy car so it's you know it's what Alonso can do in the braking zones and through slow speed corners is is generally it, it's class leading you know if you look look at the data traces but the Aston is is really struggling it's a bit out of puff above sort of north of 170 miles an hour because of its aero inefficiency so that gives them something to to refine a really nice obvious weakness like it was with the weight of the Red Bull last year so if they can refine that it's a, it's it's not quite as clear cut as bringing a new you know JBL will be able to articulate mm. this far better than I it's not quite as as easy as uh, 
bring in a, a new front wing that's a bit cuts through the air a bit smoother because some of that drag can be baked in as a fundamental concept just as just as what we had with uh, Mercedes last season where it is fundamentally a draggy car it doesn't matter if you bring a you know it's it, it's smoother side pod finish or a or a or a less jagged front wing it's still a draggy car but if it's if that is something that can be refined then they have a really nice obvious weakness um uh, uh, to, to which sound a bit perverse to say but it's something they can mm. they can ball into and if you can it doesn't necessarily have to be you know as quick in a straight line as a red bull with the DRS open but if it can if it can be you know it's got a mercedes powertrain so if it's a match in a straight line for mercedes as a starting point and then you combine that with what alonso can do under the brakes and when stroll is at full fitness then yeah they 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 can keep up this level of competitiveness to um to what's what's the expectation is it to finish second it's, it's probably more to to keep giving a headache to to mercedes and and um leap leap clear of ferrari i think i think that's a ballpark for us to now if i could just make a quick point about mercedes and their result they absolutely still have to change their car concept because if 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 you ask me so um i think there's no doubt now that if you take the Australian spec W14 and put it in Bahrain, it goes quicker because they've they've really refined the setup. This is a car that has a very narrow operating mm. window, unlike the Red Bull, which sort of just is grateful for anything. The 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 W14 is a bit <laughs> a bit more sensitive. Um, but the thing that they had is last year they took the principle of ground effects and go, where does ground effects work best when the car is slammed as low into the ground as possible to really sort of you know, maximize that effect, but that only works on a beautifully shiny, you know, um, wind tunnel, si- uh, smooth wind tunnel si- simulation, not on a, not on a bumpy track. And then as a result, they had a pull on a bouncing. So they've gone the other way and they've designed a car that's too high relative to the ground, too high for this year. It's taken them a while to work that out because they've been, and then on top of that, they've been running setups that have been tailored for a car that runs too high, if that makes sense. So when their simulations are off, they've had to relearn it which is fine. They've solved that. And that's why they are more competitive now. But in my head, as far as I understand it, that means if they've changed the setup because working to refine uh, or set up a concept that is not desirable because it is too high. So they, therefore they still need to scrap it. And that's part of the problem of winning in Brazil last year. And that strong run of form in Mexico, USA is they suddenly thought towards the end of the season, Oh, you know, hang on, we're still competitive here. The, everything we saw on paper that we can have the best car, but it's not worked out in reality. Well, if we just stick at it a bit longer for next year, maybe we can. Whereas obviously we know, we now know that hasn't happened. So they do need to be emphatic and go, well, second place is great, but we're an eight time constructors championship. We're not a a champion. We're not winning. So Mm. we still have to bin this car. Just to come back on Aston quickly, Kev, what's going to be a good result for them this year? Because before the season, you'd have said, you know, best of the rest, head of the midfield. And now we're talking about, well, Aston could be second this year in the constructors. Yeah, I still think fourth would be a big boost from where they've been. So they're kind of, they're already into a situation where it's win-win. So if they end up fourth in the constructors championship, you think that's that's pretty good going. If they can do anything better than that, uh, and obviously Ferrari are being very good at scoring not a lot of points at the moment. So they're vulnerable at the minute. Uh, if they could get into the top three, that'd be yeah, that'd be massive. So I, I think they win whatever. Um, I think fourth would be fine, but anything better than that would be a real bonus. Ferrari, who you just mentioned, no points scored today because of Carlos Sainz getting a five-second time penalty during a red flag period while they're all sitting around scratching 
whatever. And they, uh, so a safety car restart, the field is bunched up. There's no overtaking before the the start finish line or the, the, the finish line rather. And so uh, five second time penalty applied puts him all the way back to 12th place out of the points. And of course, Charles Leclerc for the fifth time now on lap one, ending his afternoon early. So Ferrari are on 26 points at the minute. Red Bull are on 123 points coming out of today. You know, rewind 12 months. Uh, this is just an absolute disaster for Ferrari, isn't it? Because a year ago, we we're talking about title contention and the, the wheels have fallen off 2023 before even really underway. I don't know to, where to start with them, really. It wasn't it wasn't a strategy problem today. Uh, let, actually, let's talk about science, science's penalty first of all. What do we think about Science getting a penalty for spinning Alonso around on one of the red flag, the final red flag restart. It was effectively lap one, turn one, although it wasn't lap one. Isn't that just a racing incident now? Why is he getting penalized for that? Mm, wasn't very good though, was it? I mean, no, it was a mistake, uh, but it's turn one. Yeah, but they have we have had penalties for turn one before. Like they are more lenient, but it isn't. You can do anything you like. Uh, which would be so which would be chaos. No, exactly. Yeah. So there, there are one, lines. I mean, I think it. it's yeah. He's annoyed about it. He says it's unfair. Uh, it's not really unfair. It's consistent. It was his mistake. It's just got a bigger. You know, obviously, if it was literally lap one and it was a five second penalty, it would probably make no, or maybe one position. But because of the circumstances of the race, and let's not let's not forget, it's a restart. I don't think should have happened anyway. So I have sympathy yeah. that I think he should have been fourth. <laughs> but having had the restart, he made an error and therefore got the penalty. So I think that was correct. What I did wonder though, and I messaged Alex during the uh, as they were rolling around uh, on that last uh, lap to take the checker flag. I, I did wonder whether it might have been worth Ferrari telling 10 car loss, give a little bit of a gap to the car ahead, and then just as you get to the line, back off as much as you can get away with and roll across the line really slowly because everyone else has got to back up. And the slower you're going, the fewer cars you're going to get across the line in that five seconds. <laughs> yes, so course. I wondered whether there's a bit of scope with a little bit of jiggery-pokery that he might have still been able to get a point or two, but he just came across the line like everyone else, uh, presumably still fuming at the fact that he had a penalty in the first place. But... Yeah, it's an unfortunate one, but you know, it, it was also it was a bit naff, wasn't it? Strict streaking, streaking into Alonso at the first corner. I don't know if I'd have given him a five second penalty for that because Alonso again, you can't give a penalty based on did it affect the other person because he stuck him in the wall. But actually, Alonso ended up on the podium because of the way the the, the event finished. So there was no consequences for Alonso. Yeah, he spun him round and he put him last. But uh, And what about JBL? What about the idea of giving... Because Science was on the radio saying, no, 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 let, let me talk to the stewards. This is too soon. What about this idea of letting drivers go and make their case after afterwards? And then we all sit around working out, you know, what the stewards thought. Or, you know, what kind of courtroom debate uh you know high school debate team would you know would they have been on i don't know if i like that i like the idea of his them's the rules and there's going to be somebody somewhere making decisions rather than you know come and argue your case but then there's gray areas as well there could have been issues they didn't know about so what do you think about that whole kind of let's talk to the drivers and then decide afterwards what would be the point exactly well he's clear he's done something there you can't then go and make a case and say, oh, but I crashed into him, but because of Uranus is in retrograde or whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. the tide was out and this, that, and the other, ergo, I couldn't miss, I, I, I couldn't afford to miss him, whatever. Mm. It, you can make your case on the radio if you want, and I think you tried to do that, but at the end of the day, he caused a collision. Five-second mm. penalties, 
the least of the penalties that aren't reprimands that they could have given. I think it was fair. And if he didn't want a penalty, then he shouldn't have done that. That's basically the bottom line. And um, mm. it was... And just to sort of talk about Ferrari uh, from a general standpoint, and I think I don't really know what to make of Leclerc on lap one. Um you know, Stroll had nowhere to go. Uh, you can't blame him for that. I think, let's be honest, lap one, sure, you can take a few risks, but at the end of the day, you've just got to get through that bit. And he didn't. And uh, when it comes to doing the driver ratings tomorrow, uh, I'm in a little bit of a quandary because I don't quite know what to make of it. Um, but it, so that'll be interesting. But yeah, just to speak about Ferrari generally, sorry. Um, the issue that they have had is... They were fighting for the title at the start of last season. That kind of fizzled out. They went over the winter and they were like, oh, we know all of the weaknesses of this car and we know what we need to do for this year. And it's like they've worked on that, but not really. And then not really worked on all the other bits to try and be better. And so they kind of stood still. And now we're seeing Mercedes do a better job than them. We're seeing Aston Martin doing a much better job than them. And... Ferrari is now in this weird position of being kind of la- where Alpine was last year. Not really, well, Science sort of did all right until uh, his, his safety car, Farago. But is oh, I don't know. It's just there seems to be this inertia within. Mm. Do, do you not feel, though, that we've not really seen where they're at yet? Because remember, we've had a grid penalty already for Leclerc. Yeah, and he is their quick guy, right? He just is. So uh, normally. Uh, and you know he had that good penalty last time out, uh, so he didn't really see the pace properly there. We know they haven't got a Red Bull beater, but I don't think it's a terrible car. Like when Science got up to fourth for a while, I was like, right, he's he's off after Alonso and Hamilton, and yeah, maybe we'll have a three car. That didn't really quite happen. And you think, but Leclerc probably would be a little bit quicker on race pace because he normally is. So it kind of feels like they're in the ballpark with Aston Martin and Mercedes if they could get it together. Obviously, that's still not good enough because of the same, as Matt was saying about Mercedes, like second isn't good enough. Like they, they should be going for the championship. So they have got a lot of work to do. But yeah, it just seems it's just not coming together. I don't think we've even really seen their performance yet because of various it's, other things. I do kind of agree. And I think on, on principle, you know, the car, you know, let's give it a few races before that. And I've probably, you know, just contradicted myself <laughs> massively. But you've still got to stay in the race to score points, which is, I appreciate, a very drive-to-survive-y talking head cutaway thing that someone would say, and it's stating the bloody obvious. There just seems to be this complete disconnect operationally. It's not now strategy. It's now working out what to do in qualifying properly. And they go, oh, we've got this amazing qualifying car, but we can't seem to put the laps together. Well, we'll go and work on that then. And then the drivers can't not fall off the road or not have a problem or not run into other drivers there just seems to be this fundamental comedy of errors going on and you can have the best car in the world and with the best will in the world but if you're not scoring points at the end of the race then there's just no point turning up really right we'll take a quick break i'm gonna go and have a look at my uh, fia documents folder and see if anything's dropped in from anything else you're waiting to hear from and we'll be back in a second welcome back to the podcast no as far as i can tell no conclusion on the Haas protest 
after today's event. So let's talk about the other teams that had good days, bad days. Alpine, very, very bad day with both of their drivers in the wall after the final uh, restart that should never have happened. I think we all agree. McLaren getting off the off the mark and uh, Lando Norris getting points in sixth and Oscar Piastri getting his first points in Formula One in, in eighth and Alfa Romeo as well. Coming home uh, with Zhou Guan Yu in, in ninth. I've mentioned Haas because seven on a, on a, on any other day, seventh is a good day for Nico Hulkenberg. But they were looking at perhaps a, a fourth, uh, weren't they? So, uh, so Kev, any of those teams take your fancy to talk about first? Oh, well, I mean, first of all, I feel incredibly sorry for Alpine. That was yes. uh, very unfortunate. I thought Gasly did a great job. You know, he obviously hung on in uh, Science's uh Science's coattails once the Ferrari came past looked good fell away didn't he when the tyres went off but I think you know that that's a kind of a bit more like it I mean they're still sort of deeply not quite in the top group but that was at least better but then to have that yeah had a very unfortunate uh, situation that the final restart well it wasn't the final restart was it the the, the third restart whatever it was <laughs> uh, and, and all that carnage and that's actually one of the reasons why I just think it's a nonsense because they've got you know two completely damaged cars and no points when they should have done uh, but I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to Nico Hulkenberg, uh, who's uh, been much maligned by certain people on these podcasts before uh, and remains a class act. And he's tucking Kevin Magnussen up quite nicely at the moment. And he's he's not a bad driver. Uh, thoroughly deserved his points. I'm afraid I don't agree with Huss thinking that he should be fourth. I think that's pushing their luck to the, in the extreme. Uh, but, but I think um, a very good drive all weekend from him. Really, really good. Yeah. Can I just come in on Hulkenberg a second? Because... Although I agree with Kev, I think that because Haas have now protested the the race and we'll see what the outcome of, if, is of that. And I think it's a little bit optimistic. But if you're going to Steiner, you would, wouldn't you? Because with plus science penalty, that's the third. That's Hulkenberg's first podium. You're going to give it a go. And it would be the most Hulkenbergian thing if he gets his first podium via the stewards and doesn't get to stand on the podium. That would be just, let's be honest, classic all round. Um, It would would be be, be like Fizzy Fizzy 2003 Brazil given his trophy like a week later, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. They have to do a little ceremony in Baku for it. Alonso handing it over, not particularly graciously, but... Um, Throwing it at him <laughs> from afar. <laughs> yes, but you, you you would, wouldn't... You'd have a go, you'd pay the fee just in case it comes off. Uh, it's like uh, mm. Gimli in uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. High chance of failure, small chances of success. What are we waiting for? <laughs> McLaren had success today. Again, they lucked into some results there. They they benefited from others' misfortune. But again, McLaren is a team that, uh, or a car at least, that can that continues to confuse me uh, because at times it looks really draggy and very slow. And when they're following another car, even with DRS, they can't get close. And then Lando Norris can go and hold off Sergio Perez in a ridiculously faster car for several laps. Uh, and then at times look quite pacey and have both cars in the points today. So uh, McLaren is a car. Again, listeners can roast me for not fully understanding the problems there. I said last time out on the podcast, I don't think we'd seen McLaren because we hadn't seen them uh, with proper race distances under their belt. Well, now we have, and now I need to go back and maybe watch some more onboards and just do some more work on that and work out where McLaren are. Because I still, I still kind of don't really know. 
Um, Matt, your thoughts on on the midfield battle, Matt, and where sort of McLaren fit in with Alfa Romeo and and Alpine as well. It's obviously a better result. The fact that they've gone from point less, as in not having scored any points, uh, to what yeah. sixth place yes. for Norris and um, eight eighth for eighth for Piastri is, is a good result. But one, you've got to consider, you know, that all the all the carnage of that last restart. And okay, we're we're we've said we're grateful that Max Verstappen hasn't lost his victory as a result of that. But you know, other people have lost the results. Mm. Alpine. I'm going to be a bit harder. I think I think if you watch the replay of Gasly where he drifts back onto the track, he just lets the car wander too close to the edge to pinch Ocon. I think I think there's plenty of time to react to that. Mm. Even if even if the general sort of turn one madness is 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 perhaps a bit less culpable for. Uh, but the, the midfield is just so competitive when you look at Q1 and there's three tents splitting, you know, 12 cars or whatever. I think basically you, it, it's not a very insightful answer, but you're going to have good days and bad days, aren't you? Where McLaren, you know, the, the track doesn't expose them quite so severely, but, you know, as they've made uh, made clear, they, they want to be fighting for fourth at the end of the season and this car just just won't do that. So nothing changes for them. They've got their Baku upgrade coming. Uh, interesting how they, you know, how they've been a bit revisionist that it was the Baku upgrade when their season starts. And now they're talking about, well, they need several packages to, to get where they want to be off to. And obviously they've, they've had this, um, technical, uh, team restructure, which is, you know, I don't want to go off too much of a tandem, but that's very interesting because, you know, that's totally at odds with, Mercedes having this no blame culture. They've gone, right, James Key, sling your hook. You know, we've, we've identified a problem and basically the buck stops with you. So you get the blame and, and out, out you go. And, and, you know, uh, uh, so th- that, that is of note. And with, with the new people coming in, how long it takes that structure to sort of bed in and, and influence results on track. But in terms of having a better weekend in Australia, you just have to say, yeah, that the, 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 the Final order is slightly distorted because of the carnage. And when it is so close, I think it was Steiner said on the eve of the season, well, there is no midfield, is there? Or, or, or there's no back markers. You just have the top gaggle of teams and then just the rest. And it's it's going to two and to and fro, like, you know, Alfa Romeo, um, Alfa Romeo, we saw Bottas qualifying, you know, when when was his last sort of meritocratic Q1 exit? You know, it, it it's just where that alpha was for that weekend with, with Joe faring no better. But if they come back in Bahrain with, with their upgrades and are slightly more competitive, it is just, it is just the sort of the cut and thrust of the midfield as opposed to them unlocking anything in particular. Joe, well, certainly that's what, that's what the drivers are saying. They're, they're pleased, but they're, they're, you know, they're not, they're not sort of now going, right, we're going to get sixth and seventh every race. Honourable mention, Oscar Piastri. I mentioned McLaren already, but a home Grand Prix, literally a home Grand Prix and getting points. That's that's a that's a feel-good story. Uh, Honourable mention for Zhou Guan Yu getting ninth in the Alfa Romeo, Yuki Tsunoda in 10th. And uh, who else stood out today that we want to talk about? Of course, Alex Albon. Alex Albon in the Williams. Was, uh, was, was he on for a top 10 finish today? Is that Williams half decent? But um, yeah. That was a heartbreaking. So okay, so it was it was an it was an error. It was he took himself off with that with that crash, which put him out, which caused the red flag because there was some gravel on the track. And uh, but I still think that's kind of a heartbreaking heartbreaking moment there because it would be interesting to see what Alex Albon could have done today. Uh, his teammate didn't really do anything 
uh, did a contrary tire strategy, I think, to most people that didn't uh, didn't we do too much? Anything, gentlemen, we've missed? I thought it was, I thought it was a, a lot to talk about today, given it was a race where Red Bull dominated and nearly everybody just ran the hard tire for the whole afternoon. Um, could have been a snooze fest, but we ended up with plenty going on today. Anything else that I've missed that you'd like to give a mention to? We that. could have a bit more of a chat about the fir- about the Hamilton Verstappen thing because they did manage to go through a corner together without crashing into each other, <laughs> which was to be. Uh, I mean, I, I you know Verstappen needs to in with you know with all due respect be quiet about that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, you talked about the you know the wheels being alongside, and actually, if you look at the rules. You know, there's obviously they've clarified the car's got to be a sufficiently long side, and there's some guidelines as to what a sufficiently long side is. But obviously, it varies depending on the nature of the corner, the braking zone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You yeah. know, there's no way you can argue Hamilton wasn't enough alongside. And I'm a little bit surprised, actually, in a way, that Max just didn't open out the corner and let and let him go and get a better exit. Obviously, I guess it was a bit late because I think Lewis probably wasn't going in there expecting to do the overtake. I think because Max, as he admitted braked a little bit early, was a little bit cautious. And Lewis went, oh, and just popped down the inside. Uh, and then, yeah, it was, it was. I think it was hard but fair at that point. There was enough room for the Red Bull to survive. And I think had it been the other way around, I would suggest the car on the inside might have run a little bit wider on the exit mm. of that corner. So I was glad there was no, uh, yeah, Max took a bit of a, a cheap shot at, at Lewis, didn't he, afterwards. But I'm completely pleased there wasn't a penalty. Uh, and... Similarly, I'm also pleased that Verstappen did hold on to his win because it would have been ridiculous, as we said, if he'd lost it after the, the late red flag shenanigans. It seems, just seems like new Max to me, or, or or world champion Max, in that we've talked a lot about how he's a he's a, a different driver now he's got his championships under his belt, in that he he's not there's no desperation in any of Max's driving. And he wouldn't, he of course would deny that there was any desperation there, or maybe he wouldn't, I don't know, but he maybe so desperate to finally get the uh, championship under his belt. But it just seems like a, a mature Max where, you know, he can fluff the start a little bit and be a bit frustrated and still, and just still know he's got the machinery that's easily going to win at pretty much every track. I, I think that absolutely is a factor that he's, you know, uh, it's not fighting for his first title. It's not the end of a dogged season. Um, you know, well, I suppose it was, it was throughout, wasn't it? Monza and, and, uh, Saudi Arabia and whatever. Uh, I also, I also wonder whether there's one, a, a sort of underlying, uh, awareness that Mercedes aren't going to be taking this title fight down to the wire. Yes, they might come on song, but, you know, this is, uh, but but for now, you know, Red Bull are on a different league. So whether he needs to throw it or, or lay it all down the line for for the third corner of um, of uh, the third race of the season, and like uh, by extension of that, just an acceptance or or or, or just uh, just being aware that the RB nineteen is mega. So once I've heat got some heat into my tires, I'll be able to come back at them. So if it's not now, it'll be a bit later on. And he did obviously sail by around the outside of turn eight. So just whether those factors, just knowing he's got a mega car, that this isn't going to decide the title and that this is, I've got my, I've got my world champions uh, ships now. Everyone knows how great I am. Well, just those three things, whether he'll ever accept, uh, acknowledge it in public, I, I really doubt it, but whether he acknowledged it himself in a private room, we, we don't know, but it, it, they must they must subconsciously just have some sort of effect. And I think that's potentially what we saw down with Hamilton. 
turn three. I'd agree with all that, except the one caveat is we won't truly know how much has matured until he finds himself in a championship fight with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Yes. Uh, we may never have that again, and so we may never get the answer, but I, I, I think that that's a, a question mark. Uh, because I think there's still there's still some subconscious needle or whatever you want to call it in there, uh, but I am pleased that they managed to not you know not crash into each other as much as it would be nice to see Fernando Alonso win a race at some point. Uh, I'd rather it be on merit, not with uh, Hamilton and Verstappen parked on top of each other somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the questions that I had earlier on in the podcast, which I didn't get to because you know we we do have a time limit, Kev. But I was going to ask you, you know, will you will you be getting our picture editors to ever be putting a picture of Fernando Alonso on the front page of Autosport magazine when he wins? And I was going to ask the same for Lewis Hamilton as well because I I think both of those cases are going to require either an incident or reliability on Red Bull's case. That's uh, not a particularly controversial thing to say. Well, yeah, let's see Let's see what Alonso and Aston, do, Aston can do on a, a tight, downforce-dominant uh, track. See if Fernando can pull something out of the bag or if if, if uh, Red Bull have a weekend like they had at Interlagos last year, they didn't quite mm. get it working right. Yeah, if, if Alonso gets a sniff, he'll take a win, won't he? Uh, I think we, we very much know that. So, yeah, I'd be... Uh, well, I mean, it would be Alonso at last, wouldn't it? It would have to be like 10 years after his last one. That'd be amazing. Uh, that would be a very cool so We've got, we got 20 more chances, haven't we? So uh, I'm sure a lot right. of those 20 will be Max Verstappen. But yeah, it would be nice if there were a couple of other people in there as well. Well, here we go. We're going to a short break because of no China. Um, but it seems weird. The season's just started and now we stop again. JBL, when are you next on a plane and back in the paddock covering Formula One for us at Autosport? I have the pleasure of the Baku Miami doubleheader. So Woo-hoo! it will be uh, land in England on Tuesday, assuming all goes to plan. Short yep. break and then out to Miami on the Wednesday. So uh, it will be uh, eat, no sleep, race repeats uh, for a couple of weeks. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, though. Uh, I haven't been to Baku since 2018 when I was working there too. And it'll be my first time to Miami as well. So um Looking forward to soaking up a little bit of sun, and I'll take some uh, uh, some state-appropriate shirts with me. Palm trees, seas, that sort of thing. Oh, we look forward to that. Reasons to stay tuned to autosport.com on the website, and also pick up the magazine every Thursday as well, if it's not already delivered, is for all the stuff that happens afterwards, which it takes away a while to find out. A bit like the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, the actual race promoters being called to the stewards for some fans uh, getting a bit exuberant and heading onto the track a little too early. Maybe they'll give them a five-second penalty. Uh, They can decide Sainz and Alonso very quickly, but I think they're still having a look at the two Alpines four hours later, as far as I know. And and the Haas protest continues, uh, not because I think they want a podium, I think because they they are debating over whether it should go back to... Uh, safety car line two, which would put them just one place ahead uh, of Lando Norris with with Hulkenberg. <laughs> you know, stay tuned to the website for uh, outcomes of all of those and more. Thank you very much for listening to the Autosport podcast today, and we'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.